One of the reasons we are struggling in this current time is because human beings naturally see change as a threat. In this episode, I speak with Roz Lindsay, who will help leaders identify ways in which they can create psychological safety and help their teams to adjust with our current changes and not only adjust to them, but thrive. Welcome to the Leadership Antidote Podcast. Here's your host, Dr. Kim. Today's guest is Roz Lindsay. Roz is a veterinarian who found her way into the corporate world and from there has launched two successful learning and development businesses. Roz is an experienced trainer, coach, and facilitator with a broad background in customer service, management, and professional development. She has particular interest in the neuroscience of human interaction, adult learning, and team performance. Roz is on a mission to make it easier for healthcare managers globally to lead with confidence so that their teams are positive, motivated, and productive. Over her career, Roz has been a veterinarian, healthcare leader, and business owner. Her most recent venture is dedicated to providing healthcare managers with easy access to management and leadership development. Engage Your Healthcare Leadership supports managers with online courses, resources, and community. Please join me in welcoming Roz Lindsay. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And I'm really delighted to be here. It's an honor. So thank you for having me as a guest. I'm really looking forward to today. I know. I'm so excited about the topic. So we we spoke a little bit before, but we're really going to dive into something we haven't touched in, on, yes. uh, touched yes. on on the Leadership Antidote podcast, and that is psychological safety, um, which is a really important topic, especially with what leaders, the challenges leaders are experiencing now, the ability to tie in your training in the veterinary sciences and link it with human behavior and realizing, you know, there's that common connection of behavior fundamentally is what leadership boils down to. I think so often we get caught up on knowledge and competency And we forget that when it comes to leadership, we don't lead from the essence of what we know. We lead from the essence of who we are. And our behavior reflects who we are. Um, Would you agree with that? Oh, I would. Absolutely. And I would add to that as well. I do Mm -hmm. believe our behavior reflects who we are. I -hmm. also firmly believe we can change our behavior. Absolutely. If there's something that we're not proud of in the way we behave, if we reflect back and have self-awareness and think, hmm, why didn't that work out so well? And then if we look for different ways of doing things, I I firmly believe we can change that behaviour. It takes commitment and sometimes it takes hard work, but Mm -hmm. it can actually change our whole outlook and it can certainly change the way that we lead as well. Do you find that it's often a shock to 
to clients with how uncomfortable the initial process is. Like when they have to sit with it and really reflect on how their behavior is impacting their team's performance. Do you find that they tend to be shocked by that? They do. And Mm -hmm. I find that fascinating. I've always been a curious person and I've always looked at my own behaviour and I certainly haven't had perfect behaviour throughout my leadership <laughs> career. Of course, of course. We're <laughs> all guilty of that. We're all, it's, it's, it's a process. Leadership makes you vulnerable without your consent. That's the best way that I can describe it because it's going to reveal everything that you don't know in a very public platform. I really like that description. I think that's fabulous. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. But go ahead, continue, continue. I love it. Yes, yeah, so I, I do find that people are a bit shocked and it always interests me that sadly sometimes these leaders I'm working with, no one has actually helped them have that greater self-awareness that you really need to lead effectively. No one has taken the time to give them feedback in a way that they hear it, in a way that they understand it and can act on it. And I think this is why it sometimes comes as a shock. And sometimes these people could have been managing for years. Often it happens with new managers, but even (laughs) I'm surprised even with managers who've been managing for maybe 10 or more years, they can still have that surprise. The lovely thing is that I think sitting in that, maybe it's what you call the vulnerability, but sitting in that discomfort is going to help if they'll sit there and if they're prepared to go with that process, then Mm -hmm. they'll be so much better for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, middle management is so important because middle management is, is who interacts with the workforce daily. You know, I, I, it's always interesting how, you know, um, you'll speak to individuals in the C-suite and they'll have a mission and their values and initiatives and they're very focused. And then they can't understand for the life of them why their retention may look a certain way. And I'm like, well, you know, how are how is your middle management doing? But like you said, they often don't have formal training. They tend, organizations tend to reserve the formal training once you get into high level Uh, Mm. leadership, but middle management is critical. And I will even go so far as to say it's vital even before someone takes a formal leadership role. The grooming has to start very early in order for it to be very effective. I would agree with that for sure. I was fortunate in the pharmaceutical industry to work on a potential managers program and mm-hmm. we were redesigned it had existed before I was in the role but we were redesigning it to make it a bit more practical and giving them some real hands-on experience and I think that investment is really admirable and more companies it would be great if more companies could do it but I, I think they either don't see the importance they don't have the funds to do it or they're so busy doing other things that it's mm-hmm. it's not a priority. Yes, yes. It's interesting. So how how does psychological safety come in? So let's, you know, go ahead. I'll let you explain it. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a real, amongst other things that I do, this is a real passion of mine in helping those leaders, whether they're new leaders or they've been around for a while, but in helping them get 
the most out of themselves as a leader and also get the most out of their teams. And this this concept to me, I, I can't even really pinpoint where I first became interested in the brain, but I can vividly remember sitting in an anatomy exam back in my university days and there was a picture of the brain and I could remember labelling different parts of the brain and being so proud of myself that I could remember and there's a, there are a lot of parts to the brain to be able to, to label. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And that kind of for me was that line in the sand where ever since then I've been really fascinated in no matter what I've been doing in learning more about it and how it influences our behaviour. I mean, everything really comes from the brain, but just trying to understand that a little better. And mm -hmm. so for me, as I developed my training and development practice, I did some further study looking at the neuroscience of leadership and mm -hmm. psychological safety just sprang out at me as being one of those things that could be groundbreaking for struggling managers and leaders. And the mm -hmm. reason for that was that the concepts presented in the right way are relatively easy to understand. In fact, sometimes when I talk to training groups about these concepts, they'll go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You know, it's not rocket science. <laughs> it's brain science. <laughs> um, it really is just tapping into people understanding why they or someone else might be behaving in ways that are not productive and to be able to just slightly tweak the way they communicate to someone, for example, mm -hmm. to enable that person to act in an appropriate way, whether that's to change their own behaviour if they're dealing with change in an ineffective way, whether that's to focus and be more productive at work and not procrastinate, whether that's to change the language and the way they interact and collaborate with their teammates. The concepts are so simple that the manager and leader can quickly understand them. They can, with practice and commitment, change just small things in their behaviour to influence others' behaviour. And it's like that ripple effect. It is such a simple concept in many senses, even though it's mm -hmm. a very um, complex science. But if you can take out some simple complex, simple concepts and explain them well, it's really easy for people to act on that. Mm -hmm. So what would you say are some of the concepts? Because I'm thinking of of listeners, and I don't want anyone to think we're, that we're advocating for manipulation in any way. So no. if you can explain to listeners, you know, what, what, it, what do you mean by psychological safety and what are some of the concepts? Yes, certainly, certainly. And the first thing to say is that I'm not a psychologist. So mm -hmm. I'm not coming at this from being a psychologist and my hat's off to psychologists out there. <laughs> and I'm, cer I'm certainly not um, talking about manipulation. I'm glad you raised that because sometimes when we say neuroscience, I've had people think that's um, NLP or neuro-linguistic yes. programming, and mm -hmm. some people see that as potentially manipulative. So it's not mm -hmm. saying that. So let me, let me explain what and how I see it. It's really about creating an environment in your team, in your business, where people feel that they can take moderate risks, they can make mistakes, and they can talk and have different opinions and debate concepts without fear of humiliation 
or uh, an impact on their esteem. So it's creating an environment where people feel comfortable to have a different opinion, where they feel comfortable to give each other feedback, where they feel comfortable to work with others toward a shared vision and purpose, where they're feeling a sense of trust and they're feeling a sense of, okay, I'm okay here. So if I can explain the concept by talking about the brain, would that be okay? Absolutely, please. Okay. (laughs) So... (laughs) If we think about the basic reason for our brain, why, why do we have a brain? Well, it all boils down to the brain is designed to keep us safe. Mm-hmm. And it keeps us safe in the world by scanning the environment constantly for things that might hurt us or things that might help us, things that might be a threat or things that might be a positive reward for us. And if we think about the threats for a moment, If the brain is scanning the environment constantly and we're often not actually conscious of all the pieces of information the brain takes in, the brain can determine within a fifth of a second, a fifth of a second, that's super fast, Mm -hmm. whether something is a threat to you as a person or not. So, for instance, the best example I give, and people (laughs) hear me tell this story all the time, I live on a property and I'm often out walking in the paddocks and several times this has happened to me but one time in particular my body froze it just froze and I didn't understand why my body had frozen I was just walking having a nice walk in the paddocks and I looked down to the right of me and there was a very large venomous snake Mm. and I live in Australia so snakes can kill you here (laughs) so (laughs) it's just a small problem we have (laughs) and It struck me as a a great example of the brain keeping us safe. So my body froze without my conscious brain being aware of it. So what had happened, my brain had been scanning the environment, picking up different pieces of information, and it had somehow picked up that there was something lying on the ground that could potentially be a snake. And so it triggered a cascade of different biological reactions that we sometimes know as fight, flight, or or freeze. We often forget about the freeze bit, but freeze is important too. Mm -hmm. And so freezing is what happened. So by the time my logical thinking, decision-making, human brain caught up, Uh it was able to look down and see what the problem was. Now, at other times that's happened, and I've looked down, it's been a stick. Still my body (laughs) has frozen. (laughs) Because what the brain is doing, it's trying to just gather as much information as it can. And sometimes it makes a decision that's not quite right, yet it's designed to keep it safe. So it's keeping me safe, whether that's a snake or a stick, the amount of information it has is determining that, oh, we need to do something here. So Mm -hmm. that cascade of emotions that triggers fight, flight or freeze is started before we're even consciously aware of it. So Looking for threat, scanning for threat in the environment is a really important thing for the brain to keep us safe, particularly from life-threatening issues. Now, where it gets challenging is when we're interacting with another human being and particularly in the workplace Mm -hmm. because our beautiful brain can detect threat everywhere. So, for instance, I'll give you an example in the workplace. Change. Change is considered Mm -hmm. a threat by the brain. Now, the reason for that is... Anytime we have to do something differently, 
it takes a lot of energy and resources for the brain to have to think about it. So that logical thinking part of the brain I was talking about needs to kick in. It needs to say, no, I'm not doing it the old way. I need to do it the new way. Now, the brain likes to operate on habits. It likes the Mm -hmm. old ways because we don't have to think very hard about that. We can just operate pretty much on autopilot. But as soon as we have to change the way we do something, we start to use more energy. Now, the brain wants to keep that energy for those times where we come across a snake, (laughs) for instance, (laughs) when we might have to do something where we run away or where we fight or where we just freeze in place till the threat passes. So change in the workplace is considered a threat. So instantly we have this triggering of emotion. Now, many of us have learned over time that change is not necessarily always a threat. It could be an opportunity. And if we understand it and work through it, it might have some good outcomes. Yet our first basic human instinct is to respond either to run away from it or to avoid Mm -hmm. it and not do anything about it. And so we'll sometimes as managers see this play out with our teams when we implement change. And where that's coming from is this state of threat, whether that person is aware of that or not. Over time, as we become aware of how we respond to change, we're able to change our outlook, we're able to think about it a bit more logically. But if our teams are overwhelmed and they're stressed about other things, if our teams are on the verge of burnout, or if our teams just have a lot of stuff on, or if they've had very bad experiences with change in the past, Mm-hmm. They're not necessarily allowing their logical brain to kick in and say, oh, help me understand this and it'll all be fine. They're operating on that emotion. And as we know, emotions can spiral. The more we talk to ourselves and tell ourselves stories about change, oh, this is awful, this is terrible, they don't know what they're doing, the worse that emotion can become. And then people are not able to productively deal with that change. And so when we're talking about creating psychological safety, we're talking about creating an environment where we help people to minimise that threat state so that they can hear our messages, in this case about change, and mm-hmm. they can process it effectively and act on it. So we as leaders are simply changing the way we might communicate about change, the way and time we might give people to help them process it, the support structures that we might put in place to make sure that the change is a bit easier for them than just letting them go and and do it without any support. So it's just really thinking through what people need so that their brain is not operating at a high threat state. So their logical thinking brain can use resources to be productive and to be effective. I hope that helps to explain it. That is honestly one of the best explanations I've heard of psychological safety. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, Kim. I'm flattered. (laughs) Yes. No, because it's it's not an easy phenomenon to articulate, right? It it seems almost, well, what do you mean I have to create psychological safety? And, And sometimes you'll hear the pushback from leadership who may be uncomfortable with with the whole concept of creating safe spaces and and creating room for change to happen, particularly in healthcare, what you hear is change is constant. Yes. And the concerns are are dismissed um, or are not necessarily taken into consideration. How do you address that when you do your, your training? 
Yeah, I think the key thing is that it's giving an explanation that people truly understand around psychological safety and it's helping to explain the senior leaders the importance of it and helping them to see really what I tend to do is I tap into things that they'll say because they'll often say, and I'm sure you've seen this yourself, Mm -hmm. oh, I get it. Why don't people get it? Why aren't people just doing it? Mm -hmm. We've told them to do it this way. You know, this change Mm -hmm. is a positive thing. Why don't they get it? And when I hear those phrases, and generally I'll create the conversation so that those phrases are able to come out, when Uh I hear those phrases, that for me is a really great place to say, okay, let's (laughs) think about this a little more. Um, We as leaders can fall into that trap of I get it, why don't they? So Mm -hmm. to understand that people might be operating at an emotional level, a threat state level, those senior leaders can start to truly understand that we can stand there and say they need to get it, they need to change as long as we like. If their emotional brain has run away with itself, if they're in a threat state, they don't Mm -hmm. actually have the capacity to think through the change and to implement it. So really there's no point us just hitting our heads against a brick wall and blaming them. We really need to change the way. If we're doing something that's not working and we keep doing it and it still doesn't work, let's just change it slightly. And so really there are a couple of things that I suggest people Mm -hmm. people do. And there's a lot you can do, but (laughs) for the purposes of time, there are a few things. Would you like me to run through a couple of things? Absolutely. I think our listeners, you probably have them on the edge of their seats right now. So (laughs) I think this is really important because like you said before, when you're dealing with um, a workforce that is burned out, when you are dealing with, you know, people forget that there are humans in the role and there are other things that may be going on outside of work that's impairing their ability to see change from a logical place it's important to be sensitive to that. And, and I think historically what, what we've done in leadership is erroneously implemented punitive systems if individuals don't change, right? So the first, the, the chain reaction tends to be, oh, identify a problem, we need to change something, okay, implement a policy that requires, you know, the change to look this way. And if they don't abide by the policy, then, you know, punitive action and, and, it doesn't work. I've, I've say, I say it to leaders all the time, and I think you bring such incredible insight into why it's not working. It's not that they're trying to be insubordinate or blatantly defiant. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a different process that's happening. So, so yes, please share with us, how do you overcome that? So I think... There are three things that I'll mention today. As I said, there are other things. This is a pretty big topic. But the first thing Mm -hmm. that we can start with is our own mindset. So start with the self. Now, when I work with healthcare managers and leaders, I am constantly saddened by the way they will describe people who, and we'll continue with this change example, but they'll describe people in their team. So they might say they're lazy. They might say, Mm -hmm. you know, they don't know what they're doing. They're incompetent. And around change, they might say they're very resistant. They're being very negative. Mm -hmm. And they'll label their team members. And it makes me sad because it's not great for either the leader or that team member they're talking about because if we continue to label people in this way, 
we're actually not going to be able to implement the change effectively Mm -hmm. because we're Mm -hmm. driven by the emotion that we feel. If we're consistently frustrated by our team members, our threat state is high too. So we're Mm -hmm. probably not behaving or communicating as effectively as we could because whether we know it or not, we're also probably operating a little bit on the emotional level. So we're getting Mm -hmm. frustrated. So the first thing Mm -hmm. to think about is our own mindset. So rather than blame, I say get curious, <laughs> try and <laughs> quiet the stories, try and quiet your own frustration or emotion that you may be feeling about someone else because really it's not about you. It's mm-hmm. really about the outcome that you need and get curious. And one of, one of the questions you can ask yourself is what is a good outcome here? As soon as you ask yourself a question, your logical brain can't help but try and answer it. Yes. (laughs) And when your logical brain kicks in, it's instantly starting to lower that emotional frustration, for example, that you might be feeling. It can't help but want to answer that question. So what is a good outcome? A good outcome is not about implementing another policy. It's not about telling someone how terrible they are at their job. It's about whatever it is, the behaviour you need for the change or for whatever else needs to happen, to Mm -hmm. work. So we get Mm -hmm. curious. We understand that they're a human being who did not necessarily get up this morning and say, how can I make my manager's life a misery today? How can I be the most difficult person on earth? Now, I know there might be exceptions to that, but generally (laughs) speaking, (laughs) 99% of people do not get up and think about how they can be difficult. Correct. So thinking that through and taking a breath and being conscious of the way you might be talking or thinking about someone or the situation, trying to quiet those stories, quiet that labelling, get curious. What might be behind that? What might be behind their resistance? What might be behind their negativity? Get Mm -hmm. curious, start to ask questions and definitely think about what is a good outcome here and that should guide how you interact. Now, the second thing that Mm -hmm. I'll talk about is the way you communicate with them and the environment you create. And at Engage Your Healthcare Leadership, I use a model called CARE. Now, Mm -hmm. there are other models out there around psychological safety, so find one that works for you. But they're all basically saying similar things. And the care model that I use is simply helping leaders to remember that there are certain things that the human brain needs to feel safe when it's interacting with another human, particularly in the workplace. Mm -hmm. So I'll run through each of those things very briefly. The first is choice. Humans like to have choice. The human brain Mm -hmm. needs choice. Mm -hmm. If the human brain feels like it doesn't have choice, it can be in a threat state. Now, for some Mm -hmm. people, that will be more dramatic than others. For some people, choice is super important. All of Mm -hmm. the things I'm going to talk about are important to every brain. But if we feel that we don't have a choice, so often this will happen with change, where change is implemented, people feel that it's been done to them and Mm -hmm. they may not see the choices. The interesting thing is there are always choices, even if it's just choosing your attitude. And it's a manager and leader's (laughs) role to help people see that choice. Mm -hmm. Beyond beyond the attitude, there are generally choices. You know, how do you suggest we implement this? What's a really effective way of doing it? So we're using our coaching questions 
mm-hmm. to help that other person see that there is choice. The other tricky thing we're doing there is we're asking them a question which helps reduce the emotion as well, like we talked about before. So choice is our first thing, and that's one of the most important things. The next we think about is assurance. So people want to feel that you are there to support them, that the organisation will support them. So, for instance, when you're implementing change, that might include things like not only can I come and talk to you freely and openly about how I'm feeling or the concerns I have, it's also you will provide the training You will provide the resources, the equipment that I need to implement this change effectively. So assurance is very important. People want to know that there are some tangible things that are there to help them as well as your human-to-human support. The next is respect. So this is the R in care. So people want to feel they can trust you. So If we say we're going to do something as managers and leaders, we do it, we follow through. And if we find that we can't, we go back to our team and we tell them, hey, guys, I'm really sorry, we're not able to do it in the way that I suggested. Let's talk about the alternative. Let's talk about how we're going to do it rather than just not telling them and they find out. (laughs) So in, in all we're doing, we're bringing our value of trust. We also help the team and individuals in the team to feel that they belong Social isolation in a team can be a major problem and they have actually shown that social pain is activating the same parts of the brain as physical pain. So social pain is real. Mm -hmm. So we need to create an environment where people feel that they belong, where people feel that they're held in esteem. So I'm not doing anything as a manager and leader to belittle someone or to make them feel like they're incompetent. So I'm not saying, it's easy, why don't you do it? (laughs) (laughs) I'm saying, help me understand where we go to from here. We're Mm -hmm. doing all we can to help people's esteem. And the final part of care is E for empathy. I hear you and I see your perspective. Now, we don't have to agree with their perspective, nor do we have to necessarily do what they would like us to do. Yet people want to feel heard. They want to Mm -hmm. feel that you truly understand their perspective. I hear you. Mm -hmm. I understand. So care, choice, assurance, respect, and empathy. Mm -hmm. If we're structuring our communication and the way we do things around that, that's really going to help create a great environment. It sounds very easy. There are a few things we need to do in that. Yet just having that model sometimes gives people structure so that You can see it it can be practically implemented. Mm -hmm. And the third thing that I want to talk about very briefly is leveraging your Mm -hmm. language, which fits into care. So it's thinking very carefully about the language that you use because language is very, very powerful. It can help or hinder the person that we're interacting with. So I've already talked about a couple of uh, these things. So I'll just mention we ask questions. So our language is framed more ask versus tell. Mm -hmm. People like to feel that they have input, which leads us to choice as well. So asking questions, how should we implement this? How are you feeling? What are your thoughts on this? Questions are much better than tell wherever we can. Mm -hmm. And then we do things like we use what I call cooling phrases. So we're trying to not trigger that negative emotion. Help me understand rather than you do this we or you did this 
you didn't do this right, we might Mm -hmm. say, I'm concerned about this. Can you help me understand what the reasons were for following that pathway, for example? Mm -hmm. So cooling phrases, we're just lowering the emotion slightly. And what I also did there was what I call I statements. So rather Mm -hmm. than you did this or you didn't do this, I'm concerned, Mm -hmm. I'm worried, I'm thinking about. Because what that does is rather than someone feeling in that context that you're blaming and finger pointing, it brings the direction and focus back to what you're saying. It's less Mm -hmm. threatening. There's a lot wrapped up in that. <laughs> I know for the purposes no. of time, I can't dive too much, too deeply into them, but mindset, care and leveraging your language would be the three things that I would suggest people start to focus on. Excellent. Excellent. No, you, you gave us such rich information and kudos to you. You did it in such a short amount of time. <laughs> I know this isn't an easy topic to dive into, um, but what is, what is one takeaway that you would give to listeners on this topic right now? I would suggest that you think about your intent Mm -hmm. and come from a good intent. Mm -hmm. Come from the intent of if you're a manager and leader, your job really is to help people do their job well. And if you come from that intent and keep telling yourself that, even in those times where you feel overwhelmed, frustrated, stressed, angry with your team, what is my intent? (laughs) And if it comes from a good place, that will set you up really, really well. Thank you. Thank you so much, Roz. And that, that is an incredibly important tip because, you know, um, People laugh when I say you can't use the the sandwich method if (laughs) the sandwich is on stale bread, right? If people know at the end of the day that you really don't have good intent, it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter. But I love that. Lead from a place of good intent. Thank you so much. Please tell listeners how they can get in touch with you and, and gain access to the wonderful work that you're doing. Oh, thank you, Kim. Mm-hmm. Probably the best place to find me, uh, there are two places that are good places. The first is uh, engageyourhealthcareleadership.com. So sorry about that long one, but engageyourhealthcareleadership.com. <laughs> and the other place uh, that you can find me is on Facebook, just using, again, Engage Your Healthcare Leadership. Those two places are good places. And I'm also on LinkedIn under Ros Lindsay. So feel free to reach out to me. Thank you so much, Roz. You called us all the way from Australia. And we are excited to have you on and just so excited with all of the wonderful things that you're doing in the leadership space. I'm so glad that our paths crossed and thank you for being a guest. Well, thank you for having me, Kim. It's been a real honor. I really have appreciated it. And I'm also glad our paths crossed. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, share, and comment. You can also head over to www.drkimhires.com to learn about additional ways to connect with Dr. Kim. Join us next time to get another dose. Thanks for listening.